beneath the stars so bright. Pull your hat down, make sure your cinch is tight. Horse is kind of snuffy, cold chill up your spine. It'll get your ass moving somewhere burning daylight. Kenley and we're burning daylight. Welcome to Burning Daylight, the only podcast for the working cowboy. Well, welcome back, Daylight Burners. Uh, it's been a minute since uh, I did an episode on... <coughs> the history of the meat packing industry. I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of research, and I've learned a lot. I have learned a whole lot. Um, but I, I wasn't real for sure how to continue this because there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of it has to do with the time period. Um, and it's all, it's all kind of linked into the the history of America, in particular, like the Gilded Age, the robber barons, the westward expansion, <laughs> the rise of the labor movement, and it all it all ties in with the meatpacking industry. It's um, it's a it's a unique industry in and of its own, but at the same time, it, it falls into the same <laughs> wild ups and downs of. Uh, of the American economy. Uh, and it's just, you kind of have to zoom out and, and look at like, it just, like you have to follow your rabbit holes from like a 30,000 foot view. It's, it's like, you're looking at an ant farm. You go down here and you read about this and then, well, now you got to backtrack and, uh, cause you got some ideas and you learn something else about this and you're like, Oh shit, how did, all right. So like, in particular, I I read the biography of uh, Gustavus Franklin Swift, the founder of Swift and Company. Really interesting fellow. And one of the things I found very hard is <coughs> actually finding um, detailed accounts of, of some of these, uh, in particular, the big three uh, meatpacking uh, giants of the of the gilded age so it was swift and company gustavus swift um armor and company that was philip armor and then uh morris and company it was uh that was nelson morris <clears throat> together they formed what was called the beef trust and uh they they essentially became the monopoly of the the meat packing industry you could say there were three they're not a true monopoly because there was three competitors but in fact, they formed their own company as a. I guess there was four players in that, but it was it was the big three, and then uh, Cudahy, I think, is is how you pronounce it. It's like C U D A H Y. Um, but they were all. It's kind of like these these big dairies. You know, they're they're all related to each other. They're these giant corporations, but uh, also family farms. Um, and it's like. All the <clears throat> all the dairies out in Kansas uh started in California and and they're all they're all inter 
you know intermarried and it's like they're that's all like one giant family it seems like with the with the dairies and it seems like that way with the with with the meat packing industry too maybe they're not they're not all married but it's all it's all like the same few families that that started off and Cuddy he was um he was either related to uh Armor or Morris I can't remember <laughs> it's not not super relevant for this episode but um it's it's a lot like um say the oil industry the iron industry the banking industry it's uh they're all they all follow kind of the same path as uh you know the american economy switches from you know a mercant- uh, mercantilist system um which is kind of what the the civil war was ultimately fought over was <clears throat> was a system of free trade versus um mercantilism which is what the south essentially had and it's uh and then that's a whole different conversation the more i read about mercantilism i'm not sure if we ever got off that system just uh just tweaked it a little bit it seems like but that's a discussion for a different day with <clears throat> maybe with uh an actual economist that can talk through that stuff more coherently than myself. And I'm trying to like, it, it's been, been a struggle trying to make this coherent, uh, telling you guys this story because it's, uh, it's a lot more, it's a lot more complex of a story than I ever initially imagined. Um, it's one thing to, to look up an outlaw and, and put together in a couple hours, you know, a, a pretty decent, compelling podcast story to tell y'all. But something like this, where, <laughs> I mean, there's just so much to it that you got to read books upon books upon books, and and sometimes you're you're reading about something that doesn't even mention the meatpacking industry once, and uh, and but it, it in a roundabout way, it all ties together, and it's um. So bear with me and I'll try to try to help make sense of it. And we're going to focus on Chicago and the big three, because that's while there's other major markets and um, packing hubs throughout the country, Chicago is where, where it really all <laughs> blew up. And um, so I'll call this, this episode uh, animal meets machine and in Chicago, I mean Cincinnati to uh, a lesser extent, but Chicago's really where the the industrial revolution you know hit head on with the with animal agriculture. <laughs> and Chicago was a was a hub for not just packing, but I mean it was it was fucking booming. I mean it it was industry of of all kinds. There there was huge uh uh, agricultural implement companies there like McCormick and uh, like I think it was International Harvester at the time. Uh, but anyway, the, all those old uh, all those old uh, farm companies, uh, a lot of them originated in Chicago because they had a they had a booming uh, iron and steel industry. Um, <coughs> they were uh, a major lumber supplier. They all the the forests around the Great Lakes, um, 
all that that lumber came into Chicago and and either got milled or or just sent sent out west uh, for the the settlers out there or or wherever. I mean, it was it was a hub for just about everything, uh, textiles, uh, you name it. It was a uh, it was a bustling city, and and the meatpacking industry was a uh, was a big part of it, and, and in particular because it had its own little area, packing town, and <coughs> but. If you'll, um, like, if you remember <clears throat> the the episode with Dominic Pasiga, and he talks about the different neighborhoods of Chicago, and uh, and Packentown had their own, you know, had neighborhoods within that, uh, you know, that that square mile, but all throughout Chicago, it's different different neighborhoods, and so like, if you're in this neighborhood, you may. You know, you had the packing packing workers, and you had like the steel workers. You had the textiles. Uh, printing was a huge uh, industry as well. A bunch of a bunch of the books uh, throughout that period were printed there in Chicago, and and being a major transportation hub, that it made sense that the Chicago grew as fast as it did. Um, but Chicago really made its bones or started making its bones pre-Civil War or during the Civil War uh, in, the, in the packing industry, uh, just shipping meat to the troops. And <clears throat> when, when the war ended, there was a lot of people coming to Chicago, uh, a lot of big money and, and a lot of poor workers, uh, immigrants, um, you know, Southerners that, that are suddenly without a home. And uh, you know, freed blacks, <clears throat> all you name it. People are, are flooding in to to Chicago, and and there's a a demand for meat. Like there's just waves after waves of of immigrants coming in. It's um, it's it's really it's really funny how how many similarities, um. There, there are two today. I mean, I think, and I, I don't know, um, I don't know how to take these statistics, but what I heard was somewhere in the neighborhood of three million um, illegal immigrants <coughs> come in um, under uh, Joe Biden's term. I don't know what the number was under Trump, but when when you look back through history, like the borders have always been pretty soft, you know, like they, they're, we've always had these waves of immigration and then every now and then they'll be like, all right, that's enough. And they'll, they'll shut it down uh, as much as they can. And, and then, uh, Oh, it, it's a, it's a good place to live, you know? So, um, but anyway, with all, all this demand for, for meat and then with the, the beef boom out West, like that'll be a whole nother episode of, of, of the ranching aspect of it. <clears throat> but as you can see, like there's just so many, so many intermoving interlocking parts that, that uh, you got to unpack to, to really understand like the, <clears throat> the whole kit and caboodle of the, of the meat packing industry. I mean, you, you've got to, you got to look at the, the, the way that, the the currency uh was at the time uh interest rates and all and then it gets it gets really really complex and and kind of wonky but it's important and uh because it all it all ties in and and one of the 
one of the big takeaways I got from from this book, and so it was written by Lewis uh, F. Swift, which is the the son of Gustavus Swift. Um, one, this guy clearly had OCD. <laughs> clearly was uh, was a high functioning uh, OCD or some some somewhere on the spectrum uh, of autism. Like he he was he was definitely on it. Um, but also, uh, much like some of these, these big time farmers that you see that, that are always, uh, they always got brand new tractors and, and implements and they're, they're always driving a new pickup and you think, man, they just be, must be rolling in money. And then like you could peel back, uh, the layer of that, <laughs> of their books. And, uh, you realize like the, they're they're just heavily heavily leveraged you know they the bank owns everything for the most part and uh <clears throat> that that was the way it was for not just these meat packing companies but just like the railroad companies which uh, was very intertwined with uh with the meat packing industry particularly even before the advent of the the refrigerated car uh we we will get into that here in, here in a minute because uh, Gustavus Swift played a huge role in that, and it is uh, as slimy as some of the tactics these guys used. Uh, also, like the sheer brilliance and guts, and just like I'm gonna find a way to get you know hanging beef sent to to New York City uh, from Chicago. One way or the other, we're we're gonna get it done, and we're gonna make it work. And then, and then the tactics they used to box out the the local butchers, and it's it, it is cutthroat ta- tactics, but it's still really impressive from from a business standpoint. And <clears throat> a lot of it, a lot of it dealt with with technology, and and a lot of the the unrest and the the anger towards these companies had to do with technology because. As technology improved, the the easier the job, maybe not easier, but the less you had to to train your workers because you could, as the the assembly line got more complex and, and machinery got involved, you were able to narrow the tasks of your worker down to to one or two simple little movements, to, and they just did that same thing all day every day, and. <laughs> because of that efficiency, it drove down wages and it led, it helped in a big part, um, lead to the, the huge labor unrest and, and the, the union movements throughout the, the late 1800s. But to, <laughs> I guess to, to wrap all that, that little introduction up, Due to all the conditions, the the mass wave of immigrants, the the migration within the country itself from from uh, east to west, and the advent of the railroad, uh, <clears throat> really drove this huge. Uh, well, and then the 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 wild, the the cattle that were allowed to just run wild um, during the Civil War in in Texas, in particular led to this huge, huge supply as well as a huge demand for fresh meat. <clears throat> and there was a lot of kinks to be worked out along the way, but 
things moved really, really fast. And, and the three guys that were able to stay out ahead of the market and and kind of corner their their little segment uh, ended up being Philip Armour, Gustavus Swift, and Nelson Morris. All right, so I'm going to focus um, pretty heavily on Gustavus Swift <clears throat> because the other two I've not been able to read like a full biography on. Uh, just been um, some um, oh some some like research papers and stuff, but they're like I said they're they're really hard to. It's really hard to find some like detailed accounts of these people, but um, reading this and then I've read um, so it's like the dark side of the beef trust, uh, and that was by Herman Hershauer. He was a butcher, uh, worked for for some of these. Uh, one, I think it was maybe it was Morris. I can't remember who he worked for. And then early to bed, early to rise, 20 years in hell with a beef trust, Roger Scheel. Um, not real fun reading. Um, it's interesting um, when I sit back and look at it, but it's still not, it wasn't much fun to read. And <clears throat> one thing I've come to find out is, uh, at the end of the day, it all comes down to money. And th these three guys, particularly Gustavus Swift, they knew how, how finance and money worked. They, they knew uh, Gustavus Swift was one of the, I, I, I'd have to look back uh, before then, but I would have to say one, he's one of the OG uh, too big to fail. And it wasn't so much from a government's uh, perspective, but from a banking perspective, um, during during this period of the rapid growth, so into the war of the Civil Wars, uh, 1865, and we'll say roll it into beginning uh, <laughs> the start of World War One, so like 1914. In in that roughly 50 year period, there there was. So much happened here in the United States that, <clears throat> you know, for the most part, we, uh, aside from the Indian Wars and then the little Spanish-American escapade that we did, it was, uh, it was a relative time of, of peace. Um, huge expansion and a lot of uh, a lot of fuckery went on with with the currency as well and and it had a lot to do with overseas banks and and it, it's funny how even back then how interconnected the world was I, I mean it was the world's a big place and it's got a lot smaller uh particularly today but even back then <clears throat> events all the way over in Europe had a huge ripple effect on on the American economy and the Packers were no no stranger to that as well. Uh, with with the panics of eighteen seventy three and eighteen ninety three, um, in eighteen seventy three, uh, Sherman signed um, what was that act called? Um, 
dun, dun, dun. that's 1873 um i mean the like the u.s government had to be bailed out by uh, a syndicate uh of of american banks and then the rothschild bank over in in your or over in england um Let's see, the Sherman Silver Purchase Act. So that was 1890, I, I guess. Um, that, so that... Um, okay, so before... Before the, the Sherman Silver Act... Um, there, there was... Uh, we were on a gold and silver standard. So the U S government would buy silver to be minted in the coins. A lot of, a lot of other governments would, um, I think, I think Germany in particular kind of started the, the trend of being on a gold, a, a solely a gold standard for their currency. Um, and in the West, particularly Nevada and, and California, there's uh, Montana as well, I guess. Huge silver mines. Um, I mean, it was boomtown in the West. Uh, you had you had cattle, you had farming, you had you had mining, um, real estate speculation. You had the railroads. I mean, it was there was big money to be made. <laughs> the problem was we didn't have a very stable. Uh, we didn't have a very stable currency and a lot of it had to do with the uh, the influx of of uh silver in into into the system and i believe sherman did something where we the the government would only buy a certain amount and then in 1890 with the sherman silver purchase act they required the government to buy um okay all right, so the seventy-eight Bland Allison Act um, required the the government to to buy a certain amount, and then the Sherman Silver Purchase Act required them to buy even more, which diluted the currency because <clears throat> the more silver was uh, traditionally is not considered as valuable as gold, so the influx of silver drove uh, the overall worth of the dollar down. <clears throat> inflated the currency kind of like what we have today and um and this this all led to um speculation cheap credit and in 1873 and 1893 both uh there was a big run on the banks stock markets collapsed and i believe in 1873 the the new york stock exchange uh shut down for like 10 days um can't imagine can't imagine them doing that nowadays but i mean i guess it, maybe it's possible i don't know um it led to the 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 to the rise of a huge populist movement uh <laughs> throughout the midwest and the west um it was kind of a <laughs> kind of similar to what you see today it was a um it was mining interest and farming interest and uh and and um kind of a big backlash against uh wealthy elites and and huge corporations once again kind of like you see today and 
with with all these these crashes and and panics and uh and depressions that that followed after the panic um both of them lasted about 4 years it looked like and um and we're we're talking you know, New York with uh 25% unemployment uh i think they said Michigan had up somewhere around 40% uh unemployment um, and, and, you know, Illinois had to been the same way with, with, uh, and then led to these, to, to huge wage cuts, um, huge layoffs and, and a lot of turmoil. And like I said, the, the, the packing industry was, was right there in the thick of it. Um, when we, when you look at the, like the Haymarket, uh, riot, uh, <clears throat> I forget what year that was, 18, 1891, maybe. Um, but that, that was all started with a railroad strike and, uh, <laughs> led to huge, huge violence. And, uh, and the Packers, like I said, we're, we're right in the, in the thick of that as well. Uh, cause it, a lot of that had to do with, uh, with the union stockyards, <laughs> which, you know, supplied the, supplied the Packers, uh, with live animals and exported their product, uh, back East and, and to the, to the West coast and wherever else it was going. <laughs> Gustavus Swift, um, he really is kind of the definition of a rags, rags to riches type of deal. And just a hard scrabble, um, pinch a penny <laughs> wherever you can, you know, uh, you know, he can, you know, he can squeeze a, squeeze a penny so hard it, uh, it, you know, you'd, you'd, uh, you'd make him cough or whatever. Who is on a penny? Is that, is that Lincoln? Lincoln's on a nickel, right? Washington's on a penny. Um, either way, um, he was a tight ass to, to put it plainly. And he started with, uh, $30 that he, he borrowed from his dad, bought a heifer, butchered it, and uh, and sold it in a cart. That's how he got his his uh, his start, and and was pretty successful early on. Moved to Chicago, bought uh, bought a packing house for thirty thousand dollars, and um, and the race was on. He he employed these new new methods. Um, I think Philip Armour with Armour and company was the, was the man to be credited with the, the disassembly line and which was later recoined the assembly line for, for automobile workers. But, uh, he, he's the one that, that, uh, kind of uh, implemented the conveyor belt system in, in the, the packing industry, Gustavus Swift was the one who helped develop the the refrigerated <laughs> rail car. And this was a this was a huge development, but it was like pulling teeth trying to get get them on the tracks because the the railroads had no incentive to ship swinging beef uh, back to the east. They didn't know if there was a market for it and they made buku money uh <laughs> sending live cattle and hogs uh back east to to the packing plants out there so they just said no we're not doing it and they uh swift and company eventually ended up buying their own they they bought and developed their own refrigerated 
rail cars and but they still had no trains that would pull them so they eventually made a deal with a canadian railroad and they took what you might call the scenic route and they went up uh they went up into Canada, over to the east, and then dropped down in, into New York City and the, and the eastern seaboard. And from there, then they had to establish a market. And what they were able to do, because uh, because they had one, one of the uh, genius things about Gustavus Swift, as I mentioned before, one of the, one of the early too-big-to-fail companies is he... He said there was uh, there wasn't a bank east of Ohio. Maybe that was actually I think that was from Roger Scheel. Um, he said there wasn't a bank uh, east of Ohio and and north north of Virginia that didn't that he didn't have a note in. So he'd borrowed money from bank after bank after bank, and if he if he couldn't get get any money here, you'd go to a different one. And, but, and it was kind of the same story with Gustavus Swift. Like he, he just, he extended himself out as far as he could. And then when he couldn't go any farther, he'd just go find another bank. And then he, he'd run credit with them as, as far as he could. And it was all, always about expanding, 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 uh, making, making the bigger, investing in new technologies or, 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 setting up new new plants setting up new new uh ice house because they had to have ice houses all along the railroads because eventually the railroads are like all right fine we're gonna we're gonna make money off of this too and and there was there was back room wheeling and dealing <laughs> as there always were and they uh you know they they fixed the rates for for the packing the packing guys but then they they uh would inflate the rates for the for the the cattle on the hoof and you know they passed the passed the cost of it back on to the producers and all of it led to this constant butting of heads between between the rancher the feed well eventually the feedlot guy but the the rancher the farmer and then and then the packing houses the the railroads and the packing houses that were or whatever profit they might get on their cattle it was uh you know, huge chunk out for, for yardage and, uh, <clears throat> and transport. And then, you know, you're, you're bidding, you're bidding against, uh, a rig, a rig system there at that point. You know, you're just, you're sem- essentially just accepting what, what you can get because, uh, the, these guys at the top, the, the three big, four big packers, they, they control the market. They, they uh they've got their thumb on the scale and it and was 100% true it all it all came out in in uh in court proceedings and you know and eventually led to to huge uh huge regulatory uh laws being passed on on their their industry in in particular you know there was there was a lot of antitrust trust busting going on and during that that point in time but um the meatpacking industry got got leaned on pretty hard i mean like specific uh bills and agencies created to regulate them i mean there there were other industries that got that as well but uh meatpacking in particular um 
they they really got leaned on hard. <laughs> but um all the events leading up to that are are fascinating in and of itself. I mean, you you had the invention of this machine that would uh that would strip the the hide off of a <laughs> off of a hog that would uh, that would beat essentially beat the all the bristles off so that where normally it'd take a, a crew of like three or four guys, you know, quite a little bit of time to get the get the hide scrape clean where now you run it through this machine and it, it beats most of the bristles off where where your crew uh scraping the <coughs> the hide doesn't have to take hardly hardly any time to to get it done. And they're able to move move animals through faster and faster and faster you know they got this this continually moving chain because uh these guys are all so leveraged out the ass uh expanding their their empire that everything has to has to be done on efficiency and and so if the the chain stops moving for any amount of time they're they're losing money because uh they got it they got to have so much product out the door in order to meet their margins and um and eventually pay back their you know their their investors and and it's uh it kind of reminds me of like the wolf of wall street type deal where everybody's just like yeah more 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 and it's it's it truly is kind of the kind of kind of the picture of unbridled capitalism where it's where it's just it's all about profit and production and uh get it out the door as fast as you can and uh get it get me another load of cattle in here as just as soon as possible and you better knock that steer on the first uh first whack so we can because if not then it slows the entire process down and you know you're you're gonna lose your job and and you're you're already uh leveraged out the ass because uh you're, you know you want a little piece of the pie so you went out and bought a house on 20 20 percent interest or whatever and you miss one payment and they throw you out uh, in the cold you, you lose all that money that you all the equity that you put into the into this little piece of shit house and uh, you don't even hardly speak the the language but you're big and strong as an ox and you're and you're willing to, to give it a go so so you just you just keep slogging away at it and then and then <laughs> big hiccup in the economy and there's a big run on the banks and uh and now all these loans are getting called and uh now so your boss is like you got to work uh you got to work faster and also we're going to pay you less because we can't afford it now and by the way your crew of 6 is now a crew of 4 because well we can't afford to pay those other two and uh you better figure out how to get it done if you want to keep your job because uh guess what there's two people that i fired this morning from your crew that boy they'd be looking for a job and if you can't do it um i'll hire them right back and uh, you'll be out on the street and it's uh it's a rat race and all the while they're they're inventing new machines that uh that is taking the job of somebody else and uh yeah it's uh it was a messy time for for all the accomplishments and uh and, and uh all the glory that that built you know the this this enormous economy that that we have here in America it it was a 
ugly process getting there. Though those early days of of just building a, a massive economy out of out of a a vast wilderness is <laughs> you're gonna break a few eggs to make that omelet for sure. And it uh it was it was kind of just par for the course. It was uh I, you can go from any sector of the economy and it was it was pretty much the same whether it was textiles or uh or railroad or mining <laughs> mining in particular it, it was just it was oftentimes brutal work and and long days and you know the you you were you were pretty much owned by the company that that you worked for and uh that company was pretty much owned by a series of different banks that uh couldn't default on they couldn't you know they sh- they couldn't you know let him go and and let him fail because they had too much money tied up in him so they had to just keep floating them credit to to keep going and he had to keep pushing the people uh as hard as they could so so that he could uh you know he could just keep afloat himself so it was all it was all kind of a house of cards but it was was, you know i guess built on a solid foundation and then (laughs) the higher the higher up the bigger bigger the company got the the more flimsy it became and but also like the the harder the the heads of these these huge organizations the harder they worked to keep a grip on power because if they lost any market share you know they they could be gone the next day you know it was uh the way technology was moving it was it was incredibly easy compared to what it was before to to start up a uh you know a huge empire like this but it was also like you you had to just have a an iron grip on on the market in order to uh to stay at the top and that's what they did and the more i read about these these uh these big 3 the like it, they they really they really just played off of one each other one another i mean it was it was incredible how how just interconnected they 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 borrowed ideas from each other they uh they uh they consulted each other they fixed prices and and they 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 really turned america into <clears throat> kind of the kind of the grocery store of the world um they they're they're they were the meat market of the world for um for a long time still kind of are and uh and and it was uh it was a really cutthroat brutal process to get there but in the you know in the process of getting there we've we've really kind of s- streamlined how uh how to feed a large quantity of people uh you know beef beef in particular um because it takes it just takes a long time uh from start to finish to put a put a hamburger or steak on a steak on a plate and it was uh 
it was the the speed and the technology and the increase uh in efficiency at the kill floor that <laughs> allowed for um a boom in in the ranching sector um it caused uh it caused huge amounts of competition and innovation within within the ranching industry um in, introducing different breeds and different methods of handling and it was all a very symbiotic relationship um but it was always kind of clear who had the upper hand like who who was the host in that whole whole deal and it was it was the packers they've always had the upper hand and i don't i don't know how exactly how that all ever changes um I think that's all maybe that's always going to be the case um but it was uh it, it's kind of it, it's kind of from day 1 with the with these big packing companies it was uh you know it was it was a dance with the devil they uh they they treated you real nice and then they'd fuck you real hard and it's uh it's it's kind of fascinating just to, to watch how it all played out. And like with it all, I mean, it's hard not to admire these these guys because they 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 really what what they what they helped build it is something truly remarkable. Um, when when you look at the the Union Stockyards in Chicago and the sheer amount of of animals that got that got shuffled through there in a in a year <clears throat> at the that was like 1921 was the the height of it and, and how many millions of of head came through there every year and and <clears throat> the the amount of people that that were involved in in getting that all you know from 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 hoof to to table it was uh it's an incredibly complex process and uh and it takes it takes somebody with uh with a lot of grit and determination and uh and a lot of imagination too to to get it done and for all their faults i, I gotta i gotta hang you know tip tip of the hat to to those those fellows because uh they they really they really changed the world in, in this you know at the time frontier town of chicago and they they created a monster that uh you know i don't think they they realized what they created at the time they were just uh they were looking to be the biggest and the best and and they they accomplished that but it it's uh boy it's a it's a terrible beast when uh when you get down to the to the nitty gritty of what the the packing industry is and it's uh it's been it's been pretty evident for a while <laughs> who who has like i said in a very symbiotic uh relationship between producer and and packer uh it, it's very clear for a long time who who's had the the upper hand who was who was the host and who was just uh 
you know, the parasite hanging on for, for scraps. And I, I don't, I don't say that saying that, the to, to talk down to the ranchers that just, just the, the analogy, you know, like you're, we we're just, uh, essentially begging for scraps and, and they're, we're, they're, they're, we were just kind of a nuisance to them that they, that they put up with, you know, as soon as, as soon as they can get rid of them and they, you know, you see a big push towards these, these, uh, crossbred, uh, dairy, dairy beef cattle, uh, that, that comes out of the, these big dairies. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a big push towards that because, uh, it's it's one step uh, closer to complete vertical integration, which is has always been the the end goal for the these big corporates corporations, regardless of of what industry they're in. It's it's always about controlling the entire <clears throat> you know the entire supply chain and making money off of each part of it. It's um, cutting out the middlemen and 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 having everything in house <laughs> and it i i don't i can't say that i i'm a fan of it but it's also it's hard not to to be impressed with with how it all how it all played together i mean how how they when when they they would just flood uh, these these eastern cities with with uh, dressed beef and if uh, if your butcher over here was was running a sale and and he you know you would you would go undercut him by by five cents or whatever and when they lowered their prices you'd lower them again and didn't matter if you took a hit eventually all those butchers were buying your beef and they worked for you <coughs> at one of your warehouses that was another thing that that was ingenious with. Uh, with these big, these big three, uh, meat packers is in all, all the major cities and a lot of the non-major cities, they had, they had their warehouses for, for their, uh, their chilled beef coming out of Chicago. And then they would, uh, they would break it down into, into your primal cuts there and, and then sell it to, to your local butcher. And and the guy who used to own the butcher shop now was you know like a manager or something at at your warehouse, and they just <laughs> they just, they took over more and more sectors of of the supply chain, and with all that power, uh, you know, with all that that market share comes huge power, and and eventually they were they just. You're able to box out the smaller guy, buy him up, have uh, have the guy that used to own the company now run that plant for you, and and you you pay him a salary. And uh, if they didn't like it, well, you'd find somebody else to do it. And uh, too bad because you just bought him out, or you <laughs> you drove him into bankruptcy, and you buy him for pennies on the dollar. It's a ruthless business, but it's it's business. It's kind of how it works, and. I I <clears throat> I don't know. There, there. I'm sure there's plenty of things that could have been done over the years to to make it a more balanced relationship. But I I don't know exactly how how that would have what what they would have done. I I think maybe that's always how the how these industries end up and. 
the hell of it is uh people got to eat so when when you have a you know a textile factory that's uh you know making kids clothes or something that well people don't have the money for you know that that shuts down but there's always going to be a demand for for uh for meat and it doesn't matter how tough times are like people are still going to buy beef and pork and chicken uh maybe not as much as they used to but they're it's kind of a it's one of those industries that no matter how bad it gets they're always going to be around and maybe maybe one of them will will fail uh, and and run themselves in the ground but they'll just get bought up by by another big bigger corp or you know one of their peers and uh you'll have a merger and it's uh it's funny how it works and it all it all kind of stems back to that that too big to fail like when when you've got enough people with a significant amount of money tied up in you like you kind of oops i lost a bunch of money but if i go down uh so does your bank so uh better give me another couple mil and uh <laughs> the rancher typically doesn't have that that uh that privilege that uh that luxury i would say maybe not privilege luxury uh <clears throat> and yeah this guy was uh was one of the best to do it uh would not recommend this book unless you're just really really interested in it but it's called yankee of the yards uh, kind of a a glowing account it's written by his son so it's uh incredibly biased but i said it's 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 not a fun read but it is it is interesting to um kind of get a look into to the brain of the guy and then like you see you see how well his son thinks of him and, and that, that his son went on to uh to be president for a while uh of of uh swift and company and i think helped uh help initiate the merger or the buyout um i think armor bought swift but then later on it became swift again i i don't know it was uh i said it was very very convoluted kind of an incestuous relationship between these these big three they all they all owned one another at some point or another, and they uh I don't know they figured out how to how to get to the top and once they got there, they never really let go i mean they're the names have kind of come and come and gone a little bit there's been you know one one family will kind of fade out and they'll get bought out by another uh swift got bought out bought out by conagra then later by jbs and then you get tyson is a new player makes their makes a big splash in the chicken market then moves to hogs and then eventually into beef and it's uh it's always the same game you you make a big splash you figure out how to do something better than the other guy and uh then you just start picking off competitors one at a time squeezing them out of the market and the whole time, this process doesn't matter who's uh, who's running the big packing houses. They're still 
there's still pressure in the the producer to and uh in a way fixing the market so they they keep their you know, their high profit margins while the while the rancher kind of gets pushed out and um you know there's there's fluctuations here and there but the those big packers they don't really ever lose it seems like they uh they play the game pretty well um I guess I'm not saying I'm a fan of it, but I'm just saying objectively they play the game pretty damn well. And um that was the start of it. So um but it, it is I guess once again to reiterate how I know it was kind of a rambling hopefully somewhat coherent synopsis, but when when you when you look at it from a thirty thousand foot view and and you see you see what the Packers are doing and how they're squeezing out you know they're 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 exerting their their power and pressure to to lower the the, the cattle prices and hog prices <laughs> you can see the same thing happening with coal and steel and railroad um, even even with uh, with shipping you know like um, actual ships a lot a lot of weird stuff going on there when you look at the the silver versus gold crisis uh i think in in 73 was a particularly big one that's when i want to say like all the big railroads failed essentially uh went into bankruptcy had to be bailed out because uh well government created them and uh they became kind of essential so too big to fail gotta gotta bail them out. yeah so it was um the northern pacific union pacific and the atchison topeka and santa fe all failed um and this one this was 1893 um yeah 15,000 companies and 500 banks all failed. Um, At the peak, 17 to 19% of the workforce was unemployed. And, uh, yeah, when when people are unemployed, uh, shit gets gets tough real quick. When you can't pay your bills, uh, get kicked out of your house. You know, either get evicted or foreclosed. Uh, vehicles get repossessed, and uh, you know they didn't have automobiles at the time, but houses for sure. And um, yeah, and then that leads to bread lines and homeless, and happened uh, happened two times in a in a fifty year period there after after the Civil War. And <clears throat> all the while, the these big three. I mean, there there was uh, there was a bunch of packing companies that that went under during these things. And uh, Swift and Armor and Morris were able to not only stay afloat, but able to acquire a bunch of their competitors and uh, build new branches here and there. You know, Omaha, Fort Worth, Denver. 
<coughs> Kansas City. And what was really funny is how some of these these cities, like they laid out the red carpet. They saw how well Chicago was doing uh, with his meatpacking boom, and they created their own stockyards and gave you know gave choice real estate to uh, to these packing uh, packing giants. And in some cases, I think Omaha, they even built their packing plants for them, or at least uh, heavily subsidized them. And, uh, I mean, it was at the time kind of a win-win deal. And, but it was, uh, it, it was, it's just, it's funny how the, the thing you want so bad comes, comes back to bite you, uh, in the end for a lot of these, a lot of these producers, you know, and it's, it's just funny how how these big these big corporations these uh just just massive companies how they how they work and the crazy part of it is there's there's still always like one guy at the top of it and you know it, it's a little more it was a lot more clear cut back back in the day when when these fellas were at the, the you know at the top of the game than it is today where it's a, it's a little little well, a lot more convoluted when you get to publicly owned, but these, um, these other companies were, they, that was another trick they would do. If they, uh, they, they ran out of credit somewhere. They would just, they would sell more public shares and that created an influx of cash and they were able to pay down some of their notes and break ground on a new, new facility. And it's, uh, like I said, it's really quite impressive. They knew how to play the game. They knew they knew how to scratch it out. And um, the one thing they they heavily emphasized with uh, Gustavus Swift in his biography is he always paid his notes on time. Uh, you know, they uh, there'd be times where he wouldn't he wouldn't make any payments on him, but when the when the note came due, he always paid it. It's his son saying that, so whether that's true or not, who knows? Um, I I would be willing to bet he was uh, very much uh, a Trump-like character, where he would get squeeze as much uh, as much work and and uh, and goods out of out of a deal as he could, and then find any way you can to back out of it, whether it's declaring bankruptcy or or whatever it is. I bet there was uh, plenty of those type of deals where, yeah, they uh, the the contractor or the the worker just had to take it on the chin, and there wasn't much you could do about it. And it just so happens that uh, that that particular industry is uh, is the end point for all these animals that we take care of every day. Out. A horseback and um trying to wrap your head around how all of it works uh make you go crazy at times and but i i do recommend reading into it and if you if you realize how the the system and the game works you, you might be you might have a better shot at, at uh at being good at it um I don't know. It's all, it's also kind of a rigged game too. <laughs> the house is always against you. So, um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna do some more research and uh when I come back for the next episode we'll talk about um how how the ranching side of uh, of things played into it and that the expansions away from Chicago and uh maybe we'll deal with a little bit of the the labor unrest and some of the some of the the union organization <clears throat> and strikes and riots and plenty of cool shit to talk about there too so um that's uh i think that's gonna do it for this one hopefully that makes some sense to you i said i'm it's not my best my best production by any means but there was a lot of loose ends to tie up and there's still a lot more but i think Getting this out here so so you kind of know what, what I'm looking at. <clears throat> now I think we'll be able to move forward a little bit uh a little bit more coherently. So I apologize for for how all over the place and and uh not as detailed as I'd like, but I said I had to I had to clear clear my head about about why why all this stuff is so complex. And um and I haven't even really got into to some of the the government intervention um aside from the you know subsidizing new new facilities um and uh and even then it's like it's if you're omaha and you're you're trying to you're trying to attract people and and uh, create jobs there in this new <clears throat> burgeoning city um it makes a lot of sense to to roll out the carpet for for one of these packing houses you got a you got a steady supply of cattle and you got a steady supply of corn i mean it, it makes it makes perfect sense that you might as well have a packing house there too and uh and you, you got the railroad there you got the missouri river like it makes plenty of good sense to, to why you'd wanna, want to want to have a stockyard in, in in a packing town there so um some of it makes sense uh but as as you can see on down the road it um causes a, a lot of centralization in the market which is not particularly good for your average producer so um but also just remember this was pretty much standard practice throughout that that whole period no matter what industry you're looking at it was uh it was the times and uh it's interesting as shit, man. So um we'll uh we'll be back for I don't forget which is this part four. We'll be back for the next episode um sometime. I'm not sure when. Got a lot got some more reading to do. So um hope you guys have a good week and uh move your ass. We're burning daylight. <laughs>
Tell the job's done right 